0: Well, let's get into this. I'll introduce okay. us. Some of that might make it in, as I sure. it, Okay, okay. I think that's fascinating. Welcome to Preacher Lab for preachers just like you and I. And today, I get to talk with Mike Connor, who is the senior pastor at First UMC of Pocatello in uh, Pocatello, Indiana or Idaho. Excuse me, Pocatello. I spell. I can pronounce that right. Correct? Pocatello. Yes. Pocatello, Idaho. Well, Mike, thanks for being on the, the Preacher Lab, and uh, nice to meet you. Uh, at least via Zoom and via voice. And uh, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, let's let's jump right in. Um, where are you preaching on this
1: week? Where are you headed? So it's Palm Sunday, this Sunday. Um, so I am preaching John's uh, version of the triumphal entry. Um, and I'm including the two or three verses that immediately precede that scene because um, the chief priests determined to put Lazarus to death. Um, and immediately before that, Jesus was in Lazarus's home uh, in Bethany with Mary and Martha, where he receives Mary's anointing. And um, And so it's directly from there that he heads toward Jerusalem. And at the end of John's version of the Palm Sunday scene, uh, he says, like, there's a crowd coming from Bethany with Jesus that saw him raise Lazarus. And there's a crowd coming out from Jerusalem because they hear he's coming and that he's the guy that raised Lazarus. And they're all kind of converging. uh, And the Pharisees kind of throw up their hands and say, like, we can't do anything like the world has gone out to him. So I'm still deciding. I I'm intrigued by two things and I'm trying to pick which path to take. The first is that Jesus goes to Lazarus's house and has this like very intimate night with his friends. But then the minute Lazarus becomes a target, Jesus leaves and kind of draws that threat back to himself down into the city. And so I think there might be a sermon there just kind of exploring uh, Jesus drawing, drawing hostility toward himself in order to keep it from those whom he loves. Um, But then also during the actual entry, John says this thing about how the disciples don't understand what's happening, and they don't really remember that these things happened until after Jesus's glorification. And that shows up in John uh, at the very beginning after Jesus cleanses the temple and kind of talks about how his body is the temple and it's going to be destroyed and then rebuilt. And they don't get that until later, and then they say again at the empty tomb before Jesus appears to Mary. Peter and uh, Peter and the beloved disciple run to the empty tomb and see that it's empty, and then leave. And John's like, they didn't understand this yet. So I'm also kind of intrigued by this sense of like sometimes things happen where we're immersed in something mm-hmm. that we only understand in hindsight. Um, like after jesus has been at work in us or with us in a certain way yeah. do we really understand like the meaning of that past thing so two very different directions oh, Yeah, yeah and i've just kind of been sitting with both of them and i was kind of hoping talking to you would help clarify <laughs> which one i wanted to take <laughs>
0: Well, it's. I mean, so you're. We're talking about Palm Sunday. Yeah. But most of the time, you talk about at least the sermons I've heard, raving of the palms and what is which passage has palms? Does Jesus ride a donkey or a horse or both or what? Whatever the like, your focus on the event. Yeah. But for you, the way the two things are interesting to you, is not really the event itself. It's the things that happen before it or afterwards. Um, And that's just really interesting.
1: I guess it's very John like <laughs> yeah his gospel is sort of like you know the language of signs gets used a lot like there are these things that happen that signify something um yeah I don't know I just I I'm coming off of a lenten series where I hung out in that immediately preceding passage the anointing at Bethany for five Sundays and so my mind has very much been in like the the Lazarus uh, Hmm. space and so when I was reading I never realized before now that that in John's version Lazarus is still kind of at the center of Palm Sunday oh yeah or like or I mean on Palm Sunday Lazarus is still like the center central character it's like his name is in people's mouths. P- people are telling his story. It's causing people to go out to Jesus. Um, it's like increasing the hostility of the chief priests and Pharisees. So it's probably because of where I'm immediately coming yeah. from. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, and for those of you who, ha- I've, I've got to read some of Mike's, uh, some of your your manuscripts of the last five, five four Sundays, five, um, and how you Fun. focus focus on each different characters at each point. Um, and that it was just, it was really interesting getting different perspectives of the same event. Um, and I, I think it's just, it's, it, it was really, really well done. Um, I know they're on your website, right? At the, your church's website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the really, manuscripts are, yeah, the manuscripts, it, it's just really well done and just a very unique take on a, a sermon series. Um, it's not like a theme of we're going to talk about love or forgiveness. Uh, it's like, we're right. going to focus on this story and different characters in the story. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The first time I ever experienced someone doing that was the summer between my junior and senior year of college. I did an internship at this church um, in in Denver, just outside Denver, Colorado. And the pastor was doing a, the same sort of thing, but with the transfiguration. Mm. Um, so he like hung out in that passage for weeks, but each week he would pick like a different detail of the story and uh, make that sort of the start, the launching place for a sermon for a sermon. Yeah. And I just, I, I was so in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah
0: how did, How did the congregation receive that from you? like do they do you feel like this is a
1: story that they'll never forget? or I hope so? I hope so. um, I've gotten like you know how it is like some people want to talk to you about your sermons every week and mm-hmm. some people you never hear from until you're leaving <laughs> or, um. But I've gotten some positive feedback, yeah from from folks yeah
0: yeah yeah what's what's been the best feedback you've gotten from someone as we're talking about feedback? What's been like your the best feedback somebody's ever given you about a sermon?
1: No specific stories coming to mind, okay, but i one of my favorite things to hear is when people is when someone shares with me like I really needed to hear that today yeah. Um. they'll often say it like on their way out the door so I don't really get to unless I follow up later in the week like I don't really know exactly what they mean but that kind of that's that means a lot to me yeah 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 it's yeah. like
0: spirit kind of permeated you and then spoke through you and you're like ah oh, it's like and it might be something in my experience it, it it might not be the main point it might be a little side note that i said or one little word and it's like oh totally yeah yeah
1: yeah for sure
0: what do you think has been the the most unique feedback you've gotten or the hardest feedback
1: on the sermon yeah yeah, yeah. Uh... <laughs> So at one of my churches in North Carolina, uh, I had a rocky relationship with one of the parishioners. And um, sometime like shortly before this particular Sunday, a new person had been coming to one of my other churches because I was at a four point charge who was a horse trainer and had had me come out to her farm and like introduced me to some of the horses and just like a remarkable person. And so a few Sundays after that, I was preaching on the baptism story. I was actually doing the same thing I did with the anointing story. Okay. I was like picking, I was like hanging out in the passage for several, I think during epiphany. Yeah. And Uh, I preached about the dove and I used this book by Debbie blue called consider the birds where she's a chapter about the symbolism of the dove and how the dove for the people of Palestine is probably a rock pigeon and like got, you know, the spirit was coming to Jesus in the form of this like creature. Um. (laughs) after the sermon, this parishioner was clear, was really distressed. And so I went up to her and I said, Hey, is everything okay? And she said, my God is not a pigeon. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, well, did you hear what I said about like how it's like a, like a dove? Like, (laughs) I mean, I'm not above saying God isn't a pigeon, but I knew where I was when I preached the sermon, so I didn't push it that far. Um, But she stormed out of the church. (laughs) And like yelling over her shoulder, like, my God is not a pigeon. My God is not a pigeon. That should be a t-shirt or something. (laughs) I know. I know. Oh, my gosh.
0: Okay. I know. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so... So you've done this a couple of times and the same kind of thing of sitting in a text for maybe not talking about God as a pigeon multiple times, but but you've right. done this thing of sitting in a text for multiple weeks and giving different vantage points. What what about that do you think just speaks to you or you feel like that that's really meaningful?
1: Yeah, I've been kind of turning this over. Um I think for me. Preaching every week is grueling. It's great, but it's a lot of work. And I think here's what I like to do best I either like to hang out in a story for a couple weeks at a time, or I like to move kind of chronologically through a a book or a section of a book, or do like a character. So, one of my favorite seasons of preaching ever was I preached the life of Abraham and I think what I like about this is like it gives me enough time to connect with the story in my own heart like for me to take root in it spiritually um rather than like jumping to different things week after week um yeah, I just. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's it's very much it's not like a surface level thing or like you hit on this topic and this topic and that topic, but it's there's a there's a depth about it um, that you can go into the story of Abraham, um, and go further into Isaac and Sarah and where they're at in the story, or you know, in the Mary Martha Lazarus. Like you can run through that story really quickly, um, but when you sit in it longer, it kind of, I'm I'm hearing you say it, it it allows you to kind of unpack a lot more layers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And to see what's there for me, like what is God speaking to me personally through this story um, or through this passage? I, I oftentimes don't, if I'm moving quickly through different scenes or or pa- or parts of the bible maybe it's i forget to ask that question or i just run out of time to ask yeah. that question but um, yeah so when i plan i like to think like what have i been learning what's going on in the congregation where can i hang out for like a chunk of time that'll like allow those things to marinate no. yeah so so when you plan I,
0: I mean you just said that do you kind of have like what does that look like for you do you have it is it like a whiteboard that you like write a bunch of stuff on is it you just walk and talk to yourself um what I mean <laughs> what is that what does that physically look like and kind of what is I
1: guess walk us through that do you mean like the lot like the bigger picture plan? Yeah, yeah yeah bigger yeah bigger picture I'm still fine, I'm still, this is still a learning thing for me. Um, But what what I kinda like to do is work in six month chunks. So Advent through Pentecost and then ordinary time. And what I try to do is like get away for two nights. Um, get like an Airbnb somewhere, and actually have like a little retreat. Cool. Um, and then yeah, I'll take like a, a note, like a legal pad, um, and like list all the Sundays, and like you know the ones I'll be out of town, the ones where there's like special holy days, uh, and. Where I'm feeling drawn to in the in the Bible, and then I'll start to like think about ways to map that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when I got here in the summer, and started the appointment in like July, um, it was a new beginning for me in like many ways. It was a new beginning for the congregation, and so I was just feeling drawn toward Mark mark's gospel and so i just started in like chapter one verse one of mark and
0: <laughs> let's went, start got, there yeah start at the beginning
1: yeah. got as far as you know took it slow and got as far as i did we could until advent started um, so that's kind of what i do yeah
0: it's it sounds like this is like a it's not like you're planning you're not doing this Like without yourself. Like, it sounds like this is a deeply individual spiritual practice that then it flows out of where you're, what you're seeing, where you're learning, where you're growing, where God is speaking to you. And then you plan it out of yourself. Um, Like, it's not like you're just putting stuff on the wall. What does, what does Susie want to hear? Or what does Joe really struggle with? Um, It's deeply personal too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about theological worlds?
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. You sent me this email. Uh, and yeah. I got to read this and I don't, I don't know how you're going to connect those two, but this is
1: fantastic. So yes. Tell us about this. Okay. Uh, this is sort of falls into the, like, what am I learning about preaching? Oh, okay. Peace. Um, so I encountered this book by W Paul Jones called theological worlds in a continuing ed context. And it blew my mind. Um, his argument is that uh people make different meaning out of the christian story and out of the person of christ and um what they look for what they yearn for in their relationship with god is de- depends upon like a uh, um like an original wound <laughs> uh, that we all carry from like our young self, and and yet there's some like describable patterns, and he 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 puts these into five different what he calls theological worlds. Um, and Jesus kind of means something different for folks who are citizens of each world. Yeah. So just as an example, one of the worlds is uh, he calls condemnation and uh, forgiveness. Like that's the central drama of the story. And I was raised, I came up as a Christian in a church and sort of in a culture that really emphasized this way of making meaning of of the Christian faith. Like something is wrong with you. The heart is deceitful above all things. <laughs> pride pr- pride is at the root of all sin. And you are unclean and unworthy to come before the presence of God. And for people who, who truly genuinely live in this world, for whom like their self is, it, they're always at war with themselves. Um, There's like deep, beautiful meaning in jesus as the one who takes our punishment for us Mm -hmm. who forgives us adopts us unconditionally loves us regardless of who we are yeah um but i never felt like i fit in that world i in his system i fall very much into world three okay which is emptiness and fulfillment For me, the problem wasn't ever that I was sinful. Yeah. (laughs) It's that I never felt like I gave myself enough to life to have sinned. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't need to be told there's something wrong with me. And that there's a way to be accepted, regardless of that fact. I need to be told that there's like something here that given the right conducive conditions can like grow and flourish and be full. Um, So that's why I brought that up at that particular point, because I, I do think, first of all, preaching is kind of wrapped up in my story of call and it's always been a thing. I feel like the task of having to do that has kept me tethered to my vocation in some pretty like dark times mm-hmm. um but also it is deeply spiritual for me yeah like i really identify with mary magdalene i have seen the lord yeah. like if i can say that and mean it like holy smokes yeah <laughs> like yeah.
0: God, yeah oh gosh that's so sometimes i know i know sometimes people say well you need to read scripture for things that you're not preaching on because that just preaching when you're working on it, it feels like work. And I just don't buy that. Um, Mm. I don't buy that because if what, what you're preaching on, if it isn't changing you, transforming you, doing something to you, then you've got the wrong text. You're not looking at it deep enough or you, I mean, you shouldn't be preaching on that then. (laughs) Like I I think it's, like you said, it's a deeply, spiritual intimate moment with scripture and i think it can do both preaching and helping yourself grow in your own faith um that's my that's my
1: understanding of it at least yeah i it's just important to me that that is true yeah. you know i can't speak for every pastor cuz there's a lot of things we're expected to do but for me Um, yeah, for me that I, I want to, and in a sense need to uh, be tuned in uh, spiritually to what, to whatever it is I, I'm hoping to offer. Yeah. And to be clear, I'm not, I just, if I'm excited and and in tune with it, I don't expect everyone to like glean the same thing I have gleaned. But I just think it'll like there will be some. My hope is that that kind of joy in the scripture will be evident, yeah. such that other people might say like, "Oh man, what's here for me?" Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, so. These worlds, I, I just read this this morning and it, yeah. it's, it's creating a whole new world for me because I've never cool. heard this before. So thank you. Cool. Yeah. Um, how The thing as I was reading it and took the, the, I guess you can take a inventory of kind of quiz about which, uh, just without knowing which of the, any of the worlds and you can kind of tally up kind of like a spiritual gifts inventory mm-hmm. and tells you which world you, you resonate with most or which world yeah. you're like, uh, that's just, I, I don't, I can't, I don't hear it that way. Yeah. When when I was reading these, I think the question I had is you hear yours as this world three of emptiness and fulfillment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How does that impact your preaching? Because it is deeply individualistic, like you're you're you see God in this particular lens. And how does that how does it impact how you're perceived by the congregation? So if somebody's in world five or I guess the world four is a condemnation and forgiveness. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How how do you reconcile those two, or, or how do you give a nod to the other worlds?
1: Yeah, yeah. So this is like the, le- the the precise learning piece is like this meant a lot to me when I first encountered it about a year ago because it helped me better understand myself. Yeah. Um, and we've just been kind of talking about how that affects my process. I think what I'm trying to learn how to do is be mindful of preaching in the different languages of the various worlds. In his work, he actually advocates for the creation of like sub-congregations within churches. So actually having different worshiping Contexts within a congregation for each of the worlds i don't have the i don't have the time or the staff <laughs> to, to, to even begin to imagine doing something like that but i think like knowing where i fit most naturally i'm able then to to let that influence how i prepare for a sermon but when it comes to the actual uh the word um being mindful of like i want to make sure that people out there who uh resonate most with world 2 conflict and vindication this is the liberation theology world like god is turning over the tables yeah. bringing the kingdom into our midst there is real true historical progress and we can be a part of it. Like, which is, I mean, that was my seminary experience. Yeah. yeah. That was that was Duke Div to me. Um, was like, let's change the world. Um, I want to make sure that I'm like hitting that note every so often. Um does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I
0: When I I was reading through these, I was kind of imagining pieces of scriptures or stories. And I'd never thought about, like, having different services for each of these. Because that would be, that's really interesting. Yeah. I think that's probably another conversation. When I'm thinking about, like, separation reunion, um, like, everything is one. Um, You know, the thought for me is a prodigal son uh, returning Mm. home. um, And, like, everybody's in harmony now that it's not just older brother, younger brother, and father but everybody is together in it. Um, or like the condemnation and forgiveness, that's more, I mean, that's just, that's Jesus on the cross. Um, yeah. Forgiveness, uh, penal substitution, atonement theory. Uh, and it, I, they're all, they're all beautiful. They're just all very different. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love the language like, okay, these are the five worlds that people encounter or people understand Christ. And there's probably more worlds than he puts language on, but those are the primary five. And I've just never heard it that way. And I, I love the idea of you're preaching from the emptiness and fulfillment world, but you're giving a nod to others and making sure that there is social justice. That's a key part of the Christian walk. And we do sin and, and we do make a mess of things and we do need forgiveness so you're giving a nod to to all of the worlds, and I just so I think one of the, the traps that some preachers fall into I know I fall into is preaching her my own world only my world because that's what I know it's natural it's it's innate and I don't give a nod to the other.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, but I think once you be once you start to think about it in that way, that like, uh, someone's not wrong for. Uh, someone's not wrong for believing in Christ primarily because of the unconditional acceptance that they receive in his presence. Um, And so I want to make sure I like preach a world for sermon. Yeah. Although I will admit that's the hardest one for me to, to access. I just, I think just cause I have kind of baggage around, mm-hmm. um, around that. Um,
0: I think most of us, I mean, that's, that's my baggage too. Yeah. I think most very, of us growing up in growing
1: a lot of American evangelicals yeah. lives yeah. in world four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But so much of it comes out of Paul. And like it's it's not unbiblical, and depending on how you talk about it, mm-hmm. and um, it resonates with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, you know, like to be world five is suffering and endurance. So this is for people who just sort of believe in the depths of their soul. <laughs> that the world doesn't get better. What matters is living with integrity. Mm-hmm. So like, no matter what you go through, um, the you know, you're not really looking to God to transform your circumstances. Mm-hmm. You're looking to God to be in the suffering with you and helping you to have a pureness of heart in it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very different than the good news being like, God is changing the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if but if one Sunday you're hitting that note, and the next Sunday you're hitting the other note, which is what I'm trying to learn how to do, yeah. Um, then I think like I don't know, maybe you're you're talking in the heart language of more folks more frequently. Yeah, and you might be going through that in one particular sermon, um, mm-hmm. you
0: know, focusing on the cross, uh, especially now during Lent and moving towards the cross of Good Friday. You, I think you can do that while talking. I'm just thinking like the emptiness and fulfillment, you know, Jesus emptied himself um, to be with us and you're still talking cross language. So even mm-hmm. through the middle of us, eight, one sermon, you can talk through all of these different worlds um, mm-hmm. and you kind of enter into them yourself. I'm what is it, do you think it's, as I was reading this, I found it with world four being the hardest I had to go into my own stuff, my own baggage of, okay, how do I, how do I get rid of the cynicism? Cause yeah, I've been hurt by that. I'm not going to a fear fest or heaven's gates, hell's flames thing. Cause that's just, <laughs> that's my history. Do you, did you find you have to do some work on yourself to kind of move into other, some of the other worlds that are not so uh, like innate to you?
1: Uh. yeah yeah i guess so so like world four i feel like is what characterized my adolescence and my early 20s and then coming to duke i got to move into world two which was such a relief because it gave me something to do (laughs) with all of that all of that frustration um But then like once after I graduated and got into ministry for a few years and just lived, um, it was kind of like when I read that section on World 3, it was like tension just released in my body. Yeah, It was like, yeah, man, this doesn't negate the validity of those other things on principle, but like this is my, this is where I want to be like. This is my struggle. This is, you know, like, because the world's described both like uh, your deepest longing and what satisfies it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I would read sections out loud to my wife, and we would talk about like who we know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the way you do with like the Enneagram, yeah, or yeah, any of any of those other like typology. Things. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think World Four. Um it's a world that I think a lot of people who struggle with addiction are citizens of. Yeah. And I work really closely with some folks at the church who are in AA. Yeah. And on the path of sobriety. And when I hear them tell their story, it's world four up and down, but in the most like genuine, powerful, non-manipulating kind of way. Mm-hmm. Like God loves them despite the worst things they've ever done. Oh yeah,
0: and and, you that, know? and that's the good news. That's the good news for them. Um, yeah, like yeah. that's the be- that's the beauty of this. It's, it's it's all good news. It's just it's like different. It's just different languages. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And I just I I love that, it, it, and this has given me language of how to understand. Okay, this is what I'm trying to do when I when I use this particular word or this particular phrase. I'm trying to speak to that particular citizen of that world. Yeah, and that is just that is a gift. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a gift. Yeah. Okay, I've got one more question. Because I know we're we're wrapping up here really? oh yeah, I man. know, I know I know we're almost, at, I almost feel like, have, we're almost at an hour here okay' <laughs> we'll, we'll have to do like a part two because okay. there's a lot of things that I have a lot of questions, and uh we didn't get into it because the theological worlds thing it, it blew my mind as well so um I think I got what what do you think when you think about your your preaching um as you've preached, what do you think is your niche? um uh, this is one of my favorite questions what is your your thing, the thing that, that you, it's your gift. It's the thing that you're like, why don't other preachers do, do it this way? Or this is the thing that, that God is innately gifted to me. What is Mm. your niche? Niche, niche. How do you want to pronounce it?
1: I think for me being able to evoke the whole story in the smallest detail. I'm a real exegetical nerd. I love to know all the associations of all the words. Um, but I feel like if I go deep into a single verse or a single detail or word or gesture, I eventually arrive at like something that kind of gestures toward the whole. And, So I, I actually I was thinking about this because I listened to some of the other episodes. Um, I think my real niche is the funeral sermon. Oh, oh, I and I, and I never ever yeah. thought I would be a person to say that. But in my first couple of years of pastoring in North Carolina, I did like dozens of funerals, and in some ways it, it sucked, <laughs> but I. not only is that one of the few times that people come to church actually wanting to listen for a word from the Lord. Yeah, yeah. But it is also like a challenge to honor a life by taking just like the scraps you get from the stories and the obituary and what you experienced of the person if you got to experience them at all. And like by pressing really deeply into those like coming out the other side with something evoking the, the whole story of God's grace. Um, so I think like the biggest compliments I've ever received in ministry have been uh, elderly, rural North Carolinians telling me that um, because of my preaching, they had like fallen in love with the Bible again oh, or s- started reading it for the first time.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Finding the universal in the particular yeah. I think is my, my niche.
0: Yeah. Okay. When we do this again, I have so many questions about the funeral sermon. Uh, maybe <laughs> that was because funerals are, are such meaningful experiences, but I imagine you don't just pull out a funeral sermon and then like find a replace Bob with Susan and replace he with she. Like like it's a new thing every time with a new scripture. Uh, at least that, that's what I'm hearing the heart that you have. Uh, and I I have, Oh, maybe that'll be like a separate, that has to be a separate subsection uh, because that is, we, I've, we've, I've never, we've never really talked about funeral sermons, but there's, that's so meaningful.
1: Mm.
0: Okay. Next time we're on that. That is special, top, special, edi- special, special edition. edition. <laughs> <laughs> Talk, <laughs> death, dying, and funeral sermons. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Any final thoughts? I, I don't, I, there's, I wish we had like, we need two more hours or three more hours. I know. Um, any more thoughts,
1: final thoughts for preachers who are listening? Um, I just want to throw out my solidarity <laughs> with the Saturday night sermon writers. I have always done it. Um, I don't think it reflects anything bad about who I am (laughs) or how I work. Uh, I have tried to get out from under doing it, but I'm a Saturday night sermon writer. Yeah. I get into the text on Monday morning, but um, I'm usually not writing until Saturday yeah but you've you're obviously thinking about it the entire oh, week oh the last yeah, two weeks. Yeah, like yeah. even
0: the conversations here you're like okay which which way do I want to go um yeah the actual pen to paper or words on the screen yeah yeah,
1: yeah. oh so solidarity
0: yeah that's beautiful <laughs> you know solidarity we're speaking yeah. to world two right now yeah, <laughs> yeah that works yeah <laughs> all right well one more question quick question. What book has been an impact on you in the last six months? Uh, Any book, novel, commentary, audio book? What has been one thing, one book that has just hit you like a ton of bricks? You're like, oh, this was really, really good.
1: Uh, For the first time, I'm a rereader. In 2018, for the first time, I read Willa Cather's novel, Death Comes for the Archbishop. And I have made a point of reading it once a year since then. So I've read it four or five times. Um, it's the story. Uh, have you ever read it? No, I have never heard of it. Okay. It's the story of two uh, Roman Catholic priests who get sent to the newly acquired American territory of New Mexico to sort of reestablish a Roman Catholic, uh, diocese there. Um, and it's, it's beautifully written. Um, I don't want to over deter, it would be a lot to explain the plot, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's like a real piece of literature about ministry. Oh, wow. And it both, I think it, it holds together uh some of the like pr- some of the things we're wrestling with in American Christianity right now are reflected in like these guys work and attitude towards certain things um but it, they also you get a lot of the beauty too yeah of what it means to serve people
0: and it's called death death comes to the archbishop yeah that's what it is and who's the writer who's the author Willa Cather. Willa Cather. Death comes the Archbishop. Okay, yeah, it's going in my my book, my my Amazon cart. That's sitting with twenty different
1: books. <laughs> but it's a great, it's a great like, um, like vacation read or retreat oh, cool. read.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. So those of you who are going on a uh, vacation after preaching an Easter sermon, uh, <laughs> this would be your book. <laughs>
1: Yeah. It's so good. I would love, I I think I could, or one could uh, develop like a whole, if I was ever teaching a class on like theology of ministry or pastoral spirituality, I would have people read that, read that novel. Yeah. Do it. I
0: think it's awesome. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you. This has been a gift. Um, Just It's just been a gift to hear the way in which you preach, um, the way in which you've opened up my mind to theological worlds. Um, I mean, this is just a gift. So thank you for spending time with us and just giving your wisdom and your heart to this this craft of preaching. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me on.